thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, leading publishers of books, directories, educational guides and magazines aimed at schools in the UK and beyond. Enjoy the podcast. Live from Seville, this is The Twilight Show with Harry Waters and you are listening live. Hello, good evening, good night, happy twilight, uh, I guess, um, which actually is here. So that's a, a fun time of year when it is actually twilight during the twilight show. Um, I hope everybody is well and enjoying their week thus far. Uh, it's been a week without incident for me this week, which is nice. Um, very chill, not a huge number of meetings, um, which is always good, which has been a lot of fun for getting down to actual work, or should I say, avoiding actual work at all costs. Um, I decided rather than to spend hours and hours writing, I'd, I'd revise some some things I'd already done, but also I've spent a lot more time planning my classes this, this week, which has been exceptional. Um, I've been working with a, a group in in Mexico. Um, we've been talking a lot about board work, so it's great to kind of remind yourself of these very very simple things you think, but also very important that you know you kind of just leave behind um, when you're struggling to do this that and the other. Uh, so yeah, it's been a it's been a a fun week with some some really super mega productive classes, uh, which has been great. So we've been. Uh, looking at storytelling in in our class with the with the the older students, I guess. Um, so they are eight and nine. Well, no, they're nine, ten, and eleven. Uh, so these uh, students, we've been working on putting a story together and telling a story and relating it to an anecdote and trying to get that that aspect out amongst our students and and have them have the opportunity to to speak and share and present whichever way there's a desire. Luckily, this is a, a fairly outgoing group that we have. So most of them wanted a, a simple performance at the end of their story. But yeah, the, the key to it wasn't, of course, the vocabulary that they were using, but the style in which they delivered their story, the way in which they grabbed people's attention. Uh, so it was, a, it was a really fun week with that class. Uh, with the other class, I I used um, Sylvina's lesson plan. Well, I took some ideas from it because they're a much lower level, um, but we did use the song Bad Day by Daniel Powder to talk about daily routines, which is a classic with, um, with younger students. So these students are seven and eight, uh, and they absolutely loved watching the video and and trying to reenact the video and it's it's been super fun uh, getting them to look at their own days but also look at the typical day of people in in other places places that aren't spain you know people were amazed that uh, so the, these seven and eight year old students were amazed when we talked about people you know might have a shower in the morning um, and then we talked talking about times particularly times of uh, when people eat and go to bed and their amazement that people could have their their evening meal, their dinner, their tea, whatever you prefer to call it. They're amazed that people would have that so early in the UK. So 
when we mentioned around six o'clock, they were just like, what? That can't be true. That's that's so early. Like, you know, that's when I have my afternoon snack. So they were quite amazed by that. But it was it was a bit of fun to see, you know, the different ways people got to school and have a look at, you know, the different days that people had rather than just the same day that everybody always has. Um, you know, get up, go to school. Um, talking about breakfast as well is quite an interesting one with with students because they they always ask which breakfast do we mean the breakfast the second breakfast at school or do we mean the first breakfast straight away first thing in the morning when they get up and it always amazes me that that the students breakfast often is you know a biscuit or a cup of milk and that's it and then they go to school for three or four hours before it's their playtime and and then they go outside and, and they have their main breakfast, which again is often just a biscuit or something like that. So looking at those healthy habits is is a really important issue that we're we're trying to deal with at the moment, particularly at my my daughter's school and looking at healthy eating habits. And tomorrow starts the the free fruit uh, where they go around and they give them an orange or I think strawberries are on the menu tomorrow. So all students have to bring is a reusable uh, refillable holding device so a Tupperware or something like that so today we are going to talk all about mediation what is mediation I hear you say we'll talk more about it very shortly um, but it's about getting one idea from one person to another basically um, we will be back very soon um, with more on that with our special guest today um, to award-winning authors who are absolutely fantastic, but we'll talk more about them very shortly. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Cambrian News reports on Sport Wales' survey of school sport and its findings from 2022. The results showed that 39% of pupils took part in organised sport outside of the curriculum, a decrease of 9% since 2018 with a further 36% of pupils reporting no frequent participation in an organised sport outside of the curriculum, an increase of 8%, making the nation less active than in 2018. The report also highlights issues with schools having appropriate equipment to make sport provision more inclusive, as well as concerns around a growing wealth divide. There is a 15% difference in participation in organised sport outside of the curriculum between the least and most deprived areas. The gap has increased since 2018. Football remains the most popular sport participated in at a community setting. In schools, there has also been a decline in the number of minutes of curriculum PE per week, with primary schools providing an average of 93 minutes, down from 99 minutes in 2018, and secondary schools providing around 93 minutes, down from 95 in 2018. The decrease in wider participation is attributed to the pandemic, 
adequate funding, adequate training and reliance on volunteers also has an impact. Full details of the survey can be found on the Sport Wales website. The impact a teacher can have on the lives of students has been a topic across radio and television media outlets after the Princess of Wales was pictured hugging her former history teacher. The pair met up after a 25-year gap during a visit to the National Maritime Museum in Cornwall, with the Princess reportedly telling her old teacher, the things you taught me, I now teach to my children. Former teacher Mr Embry described the Princess as exuberant and just like she was. He also referred to her as conscientious and considerate while she was a student. The pleasure at seeing her former teacher and the time spent chatting were captured in many photographs and resulted in plenty of further discussion on teachers who were remembered fondly for playing a role in the lives of their pupils. Strikes, teacher pain, conditions and previous comments made by Education Secretary Gillian Keegan continue to dominate the news. ITV News reports that Ms Keegan has defended her claim that teachers are among the best off financially, when you consider the whole package. She told ITV News that benefits outside of the basic salary made it hard to compare their jobs with those in the private sector. In the interview, Ms Keegan made comments about possible plans to toughen up the law to force teachers to inform school leaders if they plan to strike and insisted that she would not budge from her position of rejecting above inflation pay rises. Ms Keegan also talked of plans to change the university application system UCAS to include apprenticeships alongside traditional degrees and to promote different career paths. The interview was part of a two-day visit to the North West with ITV having exclusive access to Ms Keegan. Full details of the story and more of the Education Secretary's views on strikes, pay and the views she has on education can be found on the ITV News website. The United Nations appears to have weighed into the debate on religious schools in Ireland. On the National Secular Society website, the group suggests that the UN Committee on the Rights of the Child, UNCRC, has urged the Republic of Ireland to guarantee the right of all children to practice freely their religion or belief by no longer allowing exemptions to ensure a child's right to education on religious or ethos grounds. Most primary schools in Ireland are run by churches and 90% are Catholic schools. Over half of secondary schools are linked to a particular religious denomination, although there are 150 multi-denominational schools in the country. The UNCRC also called on Ireland to strengthen measures to eliminate discrimination against LGBTQ children as well as children of minority faith or non-faith backgrounds. The issue has raised its head again after reports by the Irish Department for Education were submitted to the UNCRC to highlight progress following previous recommendations. Finally, BBC News features a long read article about the BAFTA-nominated film Blue Jean and the lesbian teachers who inspired it. The plot follows a lesbian PE teacher in the late 1980s at a time when a controversial law banned the promotion of homosexuality via Section 28. The legislation was in force until 2000 in Scotland and 2003 in England and Wales. The film was released on the 10th of February. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm taking a look at the AI-powered all-new Microsoft Bing search. Are we soon to be saying Bing it instead of Google it? There's only one way to decide. Let's have a search engine scrap. 
First, to use Bing, it's recommended you have the Edge browser installed. However, you can just go to bing.com. To get the full experience, I'm signing into my Microsoft account on bing.com in the Edge browser and signing into my Google account on google.co.uk in Chrome. Putting both interfaces side by side, they look the same, only Google has no distractions. Today that is, as sometimes there's a Google Doodle to celebrate something. Bing has a block of top news stories and you can scroll down to see more headlines and ads. This I feel is a negative for Bing, as it's really easy to be distracted. Click something that catches your eye and searching turns to procrastinating. Other slight differences are Bing search results when clicked, opening a new tab, Google's don't. This is not a problem on your computer, but tabs are different on your phone and it could be a little annoying having to close them if you're doing an extensive search. On the flip side, it could be useful if comparing prices, etc. The decision is for you to make. I know what you're thinking. Test the AI, Steve. Okay, I'm on it. As Bing now wants to chat with me, I type, I'm having a barbecue for five people. What should I cook? In Google, I simply type, barbecue five people. The results differ. Bing gives me 165 million results, top being planning a large barbecue cookout for a crowd. It was a decent read and ranged from cooking for 60 to 100 people to five to six. I'm now quite hungry. Google gave me a string of barbecues to buy, adverts, and then the first result was on the barbecue calculator. This was right up my geek street and I think Google won this round. You put the number of people in and then put the number of kids in and select some other options and it tells you what you need to buy to have a barbecue for that many people. Genius. Omni was third down in the Bing search. Only very slightly is Google winning at the moment. I like that Bing didn't hit me with ads straight away. I thought Google suggested searches, the people also asked bit, was neater and easier to scan than Bing's. Bing's was a bit wordy. With Google slightly in the lead, let's do my last test. I'm going to introduce some vegans. Now on my search in Bing, I type, I'm having a barbecue for five people. To a vegan, what should I cook? In Google, I simply type, Barbecue, five people, two vegan. Bing brings me 176 million results and Google a mere 109 million. Both show pretty much exact results, apart from the advertising from Google. Same top sites and no sign of meat anywhere. I'm inundated with vegan recipes for barbecue. Scrolling down, AI wins. The sixth result on Bing is 20 tips for hosting a vegan guest to dinner. By the time I get to page four of Google's results, I've given up. To draw a conclusion, it's down to personal preference. Bing uses the same search algorithms and the AI is new, so it's still learning. The question is really, what will it be like in the future when it's had time to learn more? Don't forget to tell us what you would do if a vegan was coming to your barbecue. Get in touch at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Thank you very much, Steve and Joe. So um, we are back and we're going to go to our interview now with, with Ethan Mansour, an award-winning, as I mentioned before, teacher, teacher trainer, um, and of course, author. And for this book, his partner in crime, um, not for everything, obviously, uh, Ricardo Chiappini, who, again, is also an award-winning, of course, author. He's a teacher, teacher trainer, and they are both genuinely all-round lovely folk. So let's head over to that interview. If you do have any questions, please feel free to drop them in the chat. I'll do my best to answer them. Otherwise, I'll get on to the gents to get back to you. Here we go. So a very warm welcome to my guest today, Ethan and Ricardo. Hello there, gents. Hey. Hi there. Thank you very much for inviting us over. Yeah, thanks. Thank you for being here. It's uh, it's my pleasure entirely. Uh, so, before we begin on on our journey into mediation, uh, 
I would like to just quickly ask you if you could tell me about your journey in ELT. So where did it begin and where are you now? So I'm going to throw this out to either one of you, but I'm going to say Ricardo just because I'm looking at you. Because you said Ethan and Ricardo. Okay, well, then the Ricardo first. Okay. Um, hi there. Um, my name's Ricardo. I was born in Italy, um, where I started teaching English in 2009. Um, what did I do next? Um, so I started in this very small school. Um, I, was, I was actually working more as a translator back then, but I really liked teaching. So I thought I might need. Uh, I might need a little bit more training. And that's when I decided to move here to uh, Madrid uh, in Spain, where I did my CELTA at International House Madrid. And lucky enough, I was also asked to um, um, to join the, um, uh, to join International House, the other International House teachers and, uh, and work with them. Uh, then after that, well, I think it's the usual uh, ITER um i did my delta um started hating books uh, <laughs> but then uh of course uh when you were uh, i was kind of you know professionally young back then uh but then i met ethan and uh and that's when uh when it all began with it all started with mediation and um said so it was quite a, an easy step into uh, materials writing and now um, it's basically what I'm what I've been doing um, over the past two and a half, uh, writing materials for uh, for publishers, uh, big and small, uh, and doing quite a lot of teacher training. Not only remediation, fortunately, but again, uh, I really love it. I love that phrase. Uh, and then I started hating books. I think that's a, a, <laughs> yeah a moment most <laughs> teachers have, don't they? <laughs> Yeah, I think any any good teacher goes through the stage where you start hating books. <laughs> yeah, hopefully yeah. not any of the books that we've written though. Um, exactly. But then yeah, you, know, you go back to that and then oh no, well let me rephrase that or rethink. <laughs> we've moved, we've moved from hating books to writing them. So yeah, yeah. So they're unhateable now. That's the thing because you've written them obviously. Um, thank you very much, Ricardo. How about you, Ethan? What's your what is your journey? Um, yeah. So I, I think I kind of had that typical TEFL teacher journey where I sort of graduated from university, didn't quite know what to do. And uh, so I, I moved to Spain and started teaching English there and decided that I really like teaching, that it was it's a nice thing to do. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I lived in Spain for a while and then I moved to Italy and then I moved back to Spain. And um, that's why I started working for International House in Madrid and that's where I met Ricardo. And uh, yeah, I think that was a good place for me to sort of grow professionally. Um, was the first place where I did any sort of teacher training. And then um, uh, Ricardo and I started sort of publishing things together. And yeah, sort of one thing led to another. And yeah, I am um, still teaching, but but definitely spending yeah most of my time doing materials writing at this point. And, you know, a little bit of teacher training sort of related to the materials that I write, basically. I don't think of myself as a teaching trainer necessarily, but... But I, I do like, yeah, conferences and stuff. The same stuff you do, Harry. Yeah, <laughs> it is a kind of fun journey, isn't it? Where um, like I absolutely, I think I probably love teaching more now than I ever have um, mm -hmm. because it isn't, you know, the the nine to five thing that it was before. I know that, you know, when you're teaching like either in an academy or in a school and it's 
you know, five to eight hours every day of teaching, it can, it can absolutely destroy you. And, you know, you can lose some of that, that passion, but, you know, as it has slowly reduced for me, I'd say I'm now probably about 28% teacher. Um, mm -hmm. This is going to become confusing now. <laughs> no, no, but I do yeah, agree. Like with ass. Yeah. <laughs> I do agree with you on that. This is generally like when, when things become complementary and not mandatory in a sort of way, they do, yeah, they become more fascinating in a sort of way. So you say, let me do that. Yeah. And then, but I can do a little bit of this too, and I can do a little bit of that. So, so it's a bit of, um, you know, it's, I think it's the, um, um, the, 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 uh, well, our job, like if you're self employed and, uh, and like us, you need a little bit of uh, everything, like writing, training, editing, and so on. So that's, 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 uh, that's the, yeah, I actually like it. And it really helps with the other aspects. I think they're also complementary, like the the writing, the training, and the teaching. I, I'm not sure I'd be able to do any one of them individually without doing the others as well, if you know what I mean. They they very much complement each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I've known you both now. I've known of you both internetly, probably for maybe two years or so um i don't really know about time anymore it's it, since yeah. since covid everything's just been warped it's you know <laughs> obviously there's 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 bc which is before covid and you know ac after yeah. covid um so I, i've i've known you both i think probably from around just well the the start of covid when everything yeah. basically went online and suddenly it was like oh there are these people, they're doing this. Um, and that, you know, this whole internet community happened, but I didn't get to meet both of you or either of you until earlier this year when I met you both separately and then together. So I, I first met Ethan in Barcelona. Was that the first time we met in Barcelona at Innovate? Was that our first meeting or was that our second? No, no I think we, in I think we met at IATFL actually. We did, we met in Belfast first. Mm. Um, but again, it was all so brief, it felt. Um, but then I met both of you together. So I never really knew if it was like a Superman Clark Kent kind of thing, if really you did both exist or or maybe one of you was just masquerading as both people. But there was never any evidence for it for me because I'd never seen you both in the same room at the same time until this year, um, until a couple of weeks back when we met in London at... Um, at the profession's perhaps most glamorous event, we could say. Mm -hmm. Some people call it the Oscars of ELT. <laughs> um, whereas I'm, I'm not sure entirely, but I'm not sure how comfortable I am with that. But um, we did, we met at the Eltons, which is um, a rather large awards ceremony um, in, in our profession, within our industry. Um, and so what were you guys doing there? I'm going to let Ethan on to that. Uh, well, <laughs> we wrote a book uh, that was very surprisingly nominated. Uh, we were finalists uh, in the category of um, innovation and teacher resources. And uh, to our surprise, we actually won, uh, which was very exciting. Um, yeah, it was, I mean, it's sort of the, uh, I wouldn't say it was our first book. I mean, it was our first book together for sure. Yeah. It was one of the first things we started working on. Um, so yeah, uh, to even be nominated was a huge, um, was a huge deal for us, you know. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, that's actually win was was crazy. 
It was surprising. But, uh, right? but you were also nominated here. You were a finalist as well. I was a finalist. I was a finalist. Uh, so we were, we were all there. We were all sitting in the same sort of area because we were all finalists. So we got to sit together. That was fun. It was so good, like that that moment where, you know, you say it was surprising. Um, I didn't know your category very well. I'd kind of glanced over it and I'd watched the videos and stuff. But like after I'd seen the videos, I thought, they're definitely in with a pretty strong chance. Like this, they're in with a pretty strong chance. And that moment when when they started to announce the winner, like I, Ethan's reaction was just priceless. Like the head went into the hands. It was a full fold over. It was amazing. It was there. I gave him a massive hug, and then you gave Ricardo a hug, and it was just this moment of pure joy. It was such an amazing moment to be there. I'm so glad that I got to sit with you for that moment to like to be able to share in that moment of joy because it was just. I, it was brilliant. It, it was so good. So, you know, the award winners, congratulations on that. Um, but the Thank whole you. event, it was, I mean, I know we've mentioned this briefly before. It was a bit surreal, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, it was. It was. We we really didn't know what we were doing there because we talked about it. Ethan was very, very nervous the day before he told me. Um, and I why are you? But at the same time, I was like, yeah, but it's, it's the first time. For, we don't really know the, uh, I mean, we... We are, we have been in this world for about 10, well, over 10 years now, but, um, but we're quite surprised. Like we, it was, it was, it was new, very new to us. Um, it still is, of course, and it still, it still kind of feels strange. Uh, we do, um, we both believe that our book is quite, uh, it's true, it's quite innovative, but at the same time, you know, there was other projects and books uh within our category so we, we kind of you know we can't we can't win this it's like it's, it's like you know it's, it's good that we're here but yeah i was i was convinced we were working on there, there are some good books in our category i mean yeah. i haven't actually read them i have to say but yeah. from the titles and uh what little i do know about them um this i mean yeah there seemed like there was there were some good books in our category. So yeah, again, I'm I'm, I'm still surprised we won, to be honest. But um, but I'm very happy. I'm very happy we won. It was definitely like a, as you said, it was it was an amazing moment. Like I feel like it's like the probably the peak of my <laughs> of yeah. my LT. I've already reached the peak. Yeah. So far, yeah. so far, there can be more. I peaks, can just uh, retire to the countryside and sort of grow vegetables at this point or something, you know. All around the award, you know, vegetables growing. Put the award in the middle of the garden. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I feel oh. like it definitely gave a, at least me like a, yeah, an enormous feeling of satisfaction. But we, we worked very hard on that book. I have to say, we we spent so long writing that book um, without any kind of hope of making money or anything. You know, we were just we were just happy to be writing yeah. it. You know, to happy to have that opportunity, and um, yeah, to get that kind of recognition was yeah, it's really cool. We worked hard, but it came it came pretty naturally. It was everything. I mean, since since the beginning, it was like it started as a WhatsApp conversation, I think, and then it translated into it materialized into a book after twelve months. I think it, it came it, it became an award. It started as a yeah, WhatsApp so, conversation. Oh, yeah. It became an award. <laughs> it really felt to me like so. So when I when I got there, and you know was doing the awkward standing around thing it, it just felt like you know the coffee breaks at a conference that's exactly how it felt to me like upstairs I just felt like it was just a giant coffee break at a conference and people looked a bit nicer than usual <laughs> just a bit like this is really weird 
Yeah, people really dressed up. <clears throat> some people, some people really dressed up. There's a sort of a, a different different approaches to the outfits, I think. But some people like were, yeah, they were really dressed up. Hey, I, I had I, a I suit know. on and everything. Yeah, yeah, you you were wearing a suit, for example. <laughs> I've never seen that before. Not many people have. <laughs> how did it feel for you Harry to be a finalist it must have been you know, it was good it was, it was really good. being a finalist is a really big deal obviously so yeah it was it was kind of a it, it was I was happy to be nominated as a finalist but also it was it was on a project that yes I was very much involved in but you know there was a bit of it was very much for a big publisher and um yeah the it didn't feel quite the same, I imagine, as it might have had it been with Renewable English or had it been with a book that I had written and, and it had my name on the front cover of the yeah. book. Um, it felt a bit like, you know, although I had done 97% of the work for it, it felt yeah. a bit like... Yeah, I was going to say, when you Google uh, Speak Out for Sustainability listeners, uh, all you see is Harry's face. So <laughs> obviously, <laughs> very much involved in that project. Yeah, so it was... I was I was very happy to be there and, and to get the commendation was great and and yeah it was it was really lovely. But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about you. Um well actually no, we're not even here to talk about you. We're here to talk about your area of expertise. Um and it is something that I'm gonna refer back to 2019 when I was an ELT consultant, um, not a book salesman, an ELT consultant. Um and I was going around a lot of a lot of escuelas oficiales de idiomas, which um, here in Spain are like schools for adults, basically, more or less. Yeah, they're run by the government. It's like a yeah. sort of state-funded um, uh, schools around the, around the country. There are a lot of them. It's sort of surprising how many there are. Actually. There are loads. In fact, I'm doing live classes with them at this very well, not this moment. You know, I did one last night, and you know there are fifteen classes, there are fifteen different EOIs in the in each one, and it's there's oh, yeah. so many. Um, I didn't yeah. realize like quite how big it was until I was I was in Catalonia and I was going around to all these different EOIs, and every single one of them, every single one of them was saying to me, "But mediation, what <laughs> what is it? How do I do it? What am I supposed to do? I don't even yeah. know what this is." And suddenly we have to examine it and I don't even know how to teach it. I don't even know what it is. So suddenly the EOIs were given this, this thing. And what yeah. it, it seemed like the, the policy makers had looked at the common European framework of reference and gone, okay, oh, mediation, that's new, that's in there. So now you have to teach it. And they were given that and publishers scrambled to get bits and bobs together, to get a few activities together. But that was literally it. It was like, you have to teach mediation, now teach it. So I was going into these EOIs and they were like, hey, you work for a publisher. How do I teach mediation? I was just like, well, obviously you, you, you I don't know. Yeah. So I had no idea. I know a bit more now. Um, so but I'm going to hand over to you. What is mediation in ELT? Ricardo, right. mm -hmm. you want to take the lead on it? Yeah, uh, well, mediation is uh, pretty much like there are three different types of mediation. Uh, let's say that mediation um, has always been in the common European framework of reference. Um, when it came out in 2001, it was already there. Uh, then over the past few years, and then um, uh, when um, the, uh, the updates 
um, came out, the CFR came out in 2018, if I remember correctly, and they did a sort of second uh, uh, re edition uh, in 2020. Uh, mediation was expanded by the authors, like the, um, uh, they described every single aspect of mediation, the three different uh, modes, or better, sorry, the three different flavors of mediation. So I think the best way to, to put it would be like, let's say that mediation is a, uh, a series of a set of language activities. Uh, which can be broken down into three strands, mediating text, mediating communication, and mediating concepts. Um, if, um, to summarize, instead of going um, deeper into the three flavors, just in general, you could say mediation is a very common language activity um, where someone helps someone else understand something. Um, this something doesn't have to be doesn't always have to be like um um i don't know uh anaseptic sorts of source information it can also be creative texts uh like you can just respond uh in a personal way to a creative text or you analyze and criticize a creative text so generally what people um uh think about when when they're here mediating Text is like okay. You have a source text. Uh, you read it. You summarize it to someone else, and that's it. Uh, but there are different types of mediating text. There are actually seven uh, in the CSR. And um, and what's interesting about mediating texts is the fact is the you know the very word text. Text could be anything. It could be um, spoken texts. Could be written texts. But it can also be visual or uh, multimodal texts, I don't know, visual like graphs or charts or infographics. Well, uh, that's a multimodal text or infographic, uh, but also a film and so on. So uh, basically there's the, um, it's, I think it's very important, mediation is very important because it's, it, it helps students think about um, the, uh, there's this concept of otherness, like you have to think about who you're talking to, who you're relaying the information to, uh, in order to make this information more accessible to them. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of a key part of mediation, sort of mm -hmm. thinking about the other person's communicative needs. So it's sort yeah. of it's like a move away from just trying to communicate something yourself to trying to help someone else uh, sort of understand something. Right. Just sort of a it's a small sort of tweak, but but actually has interesting sort of consequences. You know, you sort of yeah. you have to use a lot of sort of critical thinking or emotional intelligence to sort of try to understand what someone else needs Correct. in order to, to understand something. Correct. And this information can come from a text or it could be just uh, between two people helping two people understand each other uh, uh, or even in group work and there would be needed in context. I think for me, yeah. like the, the, the thing that really helped it, forced it home for me, um, like understanding what it was, when I can't remember who was explaining it to me, I think it may have been Michael Brand was explaining it to me and he said, just think about, and I, you even mention it in your book as well. Um, when like a relative comes over and you go out to eat and there's the menu there um, and mm -hmm. they don't understand the menu and you have to, now you don't translate the menu to them. You don't just no, go there and yeah. translate because you know the kind of things they like, you know. So yeah. so if you've gone to a, a restaurant, let's say uh, an Indian restaurant, 
and you know they don't like really spicy food, then you're not going to go through and translate the really spicy things. You're going to look for the things that they might like and you'll even find out that information from them. You'll say, hey, um, what kind of food do you like? Do you like spicy food? You'll understand. So that was a really big thing for me in understanding mediation was that whole the other party. It isn't simply... Yeah you know, yeah, going absolutely. in there and translating what's there. Because at That's first really, I was like, That's it's not what about, it yeah, it's not about you. It's about the other person, you know, Correct. Uh, which, I, which I think, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting sort of way of approaching uh, communicative language activities. When you think about yeah. it, so getting students to sort of stop thinking about what they want to communicate and their own ideas and opinions and start thinking about sort of what, what somebody else would want to know some about something, what someone else would need to understand about something. Yeah, it's a, ends up being an interesting thing to explore, I think. Yeah, there's lots of critical thinking too, like you have to think about what the other person might need or needs uh, and you cater for their, for their um, well, for the need. Um, you, everything needs to fit the uh, communicative situation um, and, but yeah, there's, it's all about, I remember this comment from Ethan, it's like, yeah, yeah, this is a good point, it's all about the other, you know, it's all about the other person it's all about the uh, the target uh, audience and um yeah uh, ricardo mentioned uh sort of yeah helping people understand something uh but sort of yeah this sort of general idea of sort of helping somebody so you could sort of helping them you could sort of be helping other people communicate better sort of maybe sorting out some type of disagreement or misunderstanding um, but you could also sort of be helping people work better together you know making like sort of if you're doing some group work for example um Mediation could involve sort of helping the group um, sort of decide what to do and make sure one person isn't dominating, sort of sort of improving the communication um, within a group or yeah, yeah man that, man that also sort of falls into this category of mediation. As you can see, like a mediation activity is sort of not one thing, uh, it's sort of a whole category of things. So the same way that you know, writing isn't sort of one thing, you can sort of write a whole lot of things. Um, mediation is the same way, it's sort of but yeah, it has this sort of these core principles that sort of um, at its heart of, yeah, sort of, yeah, thinking about the other person, um, yeah, facilitating, understanding interaction or our cooperation. Because yeah, yeah, my immediate reaction when I heard mediation was in an argument, in a debate, like mm -hmm. that was the only thing I could yeah. think of when someone said mediation, I was like, well, that means two people are fighting over something and you have to mediate that. Like that was... Yeah. It took a while, as I say, to kind of get it into my thick head that that wasn't what mediation was. That like there was a whole lot yeah, more. I, to I, it. It's not. It's not your thick head. <clears throat> I think. I think the name itself is sort of misleading. I think that's possibly one of the problems of of why people think mediation sort of hard or something. Um, because yeah, I think if they had a different name for it, it might have been. <laughs> I think. Better. I think it's not. But, it, but in fact, it does actually include the type of mediation you're talking about, sort of negotiate, sort of work, helping people resolve disagreements and stuff. So that, that's kind of in there. So it, it's just they they've kind of expanded um, the concept of mediation sort of within mm. second language learning and teaching. Sorry, Ricardo, I cut you off. Oh, no, no, no. I was I actually I actually think it, it was a it was a very good choice uh, on behalf of the uh, um, authoring body of the CFR. Like, because most people think of mediation as you know conflict resolution and everything, but that's exactly what mediation is. Even if it's text or concepts, you are managing communication. You are managing. But sometimes it's two people who might agree or disagree. Who might be of cultural different cultural backgrounds or not. Uh, they might know about the topic or not, uh, or it's between uh, members in a group. So in the end, 
this managing uh three categories. I think it was just not yeah, I, I agree that it's like kind of misleading, but I think it's more about the format more than the core meaning of mediation because you're always managing, right? And and I th I think that they must have thought really hard on this. Well, how on how are we going to call it? Should we just leave it, you know, mediation? Are we going to call it a different way? I think it's a very, uh, it was a smart choice, probably just to, 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 um, I don't know, maybe to keep that sort of idea that already reason in, in, you know, inside all of us. I'm mediation, I say people, I have to um, help them uh, communicate with each other. Uh, yeah, this flow, um, this flow go, maybe, I don't know. Going back to what you said before, Harry, about uh, the menu, uh, sort of translating or sort of interpreting a menu for somebody. I think that's uh, that's kind of the mediation people are most familiar with, at least in Spain, um, because yeah. uh, that's kind of the mediation that they put on exams. And there's sort of been this whole top-down thing that's happened in Spain, it, starting with the escuelas, oficiales, idiomas, and now it's actually being incorporated in sort of primary and secondary schools as well. Um, but yeah, it's it's been like a very sort of top-down thing uh, in Spain. Um, and uh, I think that was a bit traumatic for, for teachers who didn't have a lot of resources and didn't necessarily yeah. understand what they were supposed to be teaching. Um, but I think it's very interesting, actually, because for, for Ricardo and I, it was like very bottom up, bottom up. Like we just mm -hmm. kind of came across it and were fascinated by it and started mm -hmm. sort of trying it out with our students and thought it was great. Um, so I think it, we sort of we've kind of met in the middle. <laughs> in terms of because like publishers were also coming from this place of like all these teachers are asking us for mediation mm -hmm. stuff we don't know how to make it yet um and whereas ricardo and I were sort of coming from the completely opposite direction we were sort of yeah just kind of on the ground in our classes trying stuff out and and that kind of led us into yeah creating mediation materials for publishers and stuff um so yeah we sort of came across it in a i think in a different way than than most other teachers did I think when I've, not, I've seen it and looked at various materials and, and read various like descriptors of it, a lot of things you sort of stop and think, I already do that in my classroom. And I think a lot of teachers have realized that a lot of it they already do, but they didn't know how to assess it. So stuff like summarizing and paraphrasing, they're things that you absolutely need to do. Like if you're learning another language or you know, you have that activity where it is, you know, read a text and tell your partner about the text. But you just, there was no knowledge that that was mediation. You know, that was just me reading a text and mm -hmm. summarizing. And suddenly, Correct. you know, people are realizing, oh, maybe I do know how to do this because I've been doing it for the last 20 something years, but I didn't realize. And, and I think that one of the biggest issues, because it came in suddenly in a top down way, was the the assessment side of things like how am I supposed to assess if my students are mediating or not if I don't know what mediation is I mean if they then find out what mediation is it makes assessment a lot easier um but yeah how how would you go about assessing a mediation activity hmm. okay this, if I just to um um to go back to what you um to what you said about I already do this exactly yeah that, that most of the activities that we propose in our book or mediation activities in general it, it is about they are activities that all teachers already do the most important thing though, is the fact that just by using mediation activities uh students finally have the opportunity to as you said uh, really focus and summarizing and paraphrasing etc but not only because you're giving them the task okay i have to summarize here because it says that i have to be concise and everything no it's just about giving them a real situation so 
so they they have to in a sort of way they understand why they have to summarize or paraphrase or expand oh yeah the target audience doesn't know this or then they'll have to probably well um but yeah but i think it's um uh, there needs to be more research on uh, uh when it comes to um, uh, assessment uh, simply because of it's like you know how do you assess collaboration how do you assess um um really easy um Obviously, when you're integrating skills and having students work together and stuff, it um, yeah it definitely makes, it makes assessing a little bit more um, more difficult. Uh, however, in in the book and sort of other places, uh, Ricardo and I've talked a lot about kind of formative assessment type of things you can do to assess mediation. So, um, for example, you can kind of have like a a stage after the activity where they kind of reflect on what they've done. You know, you can give them some questions, think about like um, you know what were some of the challenges, how did you overcome them or like, did you really explain, you know, <laughs> were you yeah. really able to explain, you know, everything that you needed to explain? Or do, do you think you, you sort of, uh, do you think you did a good job of selecting important information? So sort of getting students to kind of reflect on, yeah, what, what are sort of the, the aims of that particular mediation activity, I think could be yeah, a good way of assessing it in, in an informative way, uh, in the sense of sort of helping students get better at doing it in class. Um, Obviously, there's a specific type of mediation that's being tested on exams uh, throughout Spain and the Escuelas, the Fithias, Diniomas, as well as other countries too. There, sort of in Greece and other places, um, which yeah, essentially uh, consists of sort of reading something, uh, possibly also listening or watching something, but usually reading something and then having to write about what you've read or, or talk about what you've read. Um, and uh, yeah, there are sort of scales that have been developed and stuff for that type of integrated task. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, it's it's not necessarily the easiest thing to assess, but um, but I don't think it's the hardest either. No, it's, <laughs> I think it's just yeah. a sort of new-ish, yeah. and so yeah. possibly um, that's where the difficulty lies. Just because when you think about it, people have been trying to assess speaking and writing and reading and stuff for for a very long time. Um, however, sort of integrating skills and stuff on exams is you know it, people haven't done it as much because it is a little bit hard to assess. Um, mm -hmm. So there's a little bit sort of less research uh, that's been done on that type of um, assessing that type of activity and sort of a, yeah, in a, uh, what's the opposite of form of assessment? <laughs> Summative assessment. There you in, go. In a, in a summative way, you know what I mean? Yeah. I remember when I did my, my Spanish, may have been the B2 or the C1, I can't remember, when I did the one of the exams, but yeah, it was, you have to listen to an advert and then you have to do a writing okay. based on the advert. Yes. Yeah. But so the Institute of Cervantes has been having. They've been assessing this type of of task for a very long time, actually, and they. they I think they've they've done a pretty decent job, actually. Yeah. So it's not that. Yeah. Like what you're describing as a mediation task, people didn't call it mediation, but uh, on that exam that you took called the Dele, um, they've had this type of task for years and years. So it's it's not it's not that it's sort of new or something. Um, 
In fact, on the TOEFL exam, there's uh, integrated skills tests where you have to sort of watch a video of a teacher talking and then sort of yeah write something about it. So, so it's not that it's not that those kind of things didn't uh, appear on exams before. Um, however, uh, yeah, there's just a bigger focus on it now, and and now that we have sort of a a very sort of granular description of mediation in the CFR, um, it, those descriptors sort of help. Um, focus on the strategies that Ricardo was mentioning earlier, which I think has sort of been left out of other assessment for existing exams and stuff. And that is the most important thing, like the fact that we shouldn't, as with other skills, it's not about, or better, not only about language, uh, but it's about like, as we uh, have come to call it now, um, but, uh, you know, for obvious reasons, but task achievement, like, you know, they have they passed on the message. And then, you know, um, what with like how well do they do it? Uh, the communication strategies that they use, that they use them, how, um, and then when it comes to, well, of course, appropriacy, uh, you know, appropriacy, if it's, if the text is appropriate to the um, uh, communicative situation, if the case is for the solidarity needs. And uh, when it comes to accuracy, I was, I was giving this, this training course, people like, no, well, they can't be. So yeah, accuracy shouldn't be like first, thing you have to think about is accuracy of the information that has been relayed by the mediator, not if the language is accurate. It's not about Ramon Macambra right now. Think about, uh, is it accurate? Did they, I don't know, if the source text says, um, I don't know, um, 100 miles and the target text um, has to be, I don't know, in uh, a different uh, unit of measure, I don't know, yards or uh, uh, uh meters so has it been, is it exactly like is it accurate to say like is it 100 meters possibly not I mean, it's, it's, probably it's not the best example ever this job uh in in terms of numbers or um, uh, we're getting sort of way into the weeds <laughs> but i but i think in general i think kind of goes back to what we were saying before like how well did you help the person essentially you know yeah like if the if you're helping somebody by explaining something that's in a text um like how well have you communicated it basically and have and as Carlos said like have you actually passed on the information correctly you know mm -hmm. and um yeah. have you have you sort of paraphrased have you summarized it effectively like I think those are sort of the main things to focus on when you're assessing um yeah mediation on a on a on an exam you know I think for me one of the oh sorry one of, one, one of the keys for me there what um what Ricardo said a short while back was all about so yes, we've done these activities, but for years and years and years, but that whole, the putting the why to it. So why are students summarizing? Why are they doing this? That's the way of, of focusing into mm -hmm. being mediation and not just being another task because yes, they were doing mediation before, but there wasn't that reason behind it. They didn't know why they were mediating. They didn't know why they were summarizing. Exactly. That, that, it didn't have any kind of reasoning. So students wouldn't really yeah. give a damn. And now when you're saying, okay, exactly. mediation is part of what we're assessing you on, suddenly they're like, oh, now I do want to learn about this. This is brilliant. <laughs> yes, it, I, I, yeah, I, well, one thing we like about me is sort of like moves from just simple communication to like action, like you're trying to accomplish something, you know, like you're not just sort of summarizing to summarize, you're like summarizing for a person so they can understand it better. Uh, yeah, it's sort of, yeah, it makes that kind of activity more, more meaningful, more interesting, hopefully. Now, this is the whole um, approach we're taking now, right? In in language teaching in general, I'm linearly like the goal-oriented approach. Uh, just you know, transform, transform it into energy, into action, right? Yeah. 
So in a moment, I want to talk about a couple of the activities that are in, in the book. But before that, now there's something, there's there's this endless debate in ELT that I, I don't understand it um, with people's English only classroom and so on and so forth. I, I'm not going to get into that now because I won't stop. Um, I think it's absolutely absurd that we should have English only classrooms. Um, I don't think it's necessary. Um but particularly when it comes to mediation, especially if you're in a monolingual classroom, it's it's vital to have the L1. I think it, in any class, it's vital to have the L1, to have that kind of um, the cultural relation to it and and, and so on and so forth. But I've, I've picked out a, a, just a, par- a short bit of a paragraph from your book that I'm going to read that really resonated with me. And it says here, now I'm not sure which one of you wrote this, so whoever did, well done. Um, or if we still agree, you know, yeah. agree on <laughs> with what we were. <laughs> so what it says here is, when you think about it, the use of L1 in class opens the door to exciting possibilities of exploiting countless real-life situations involving cross-linguistic mediation that have so far been overlooked in the communicative language classroom. Um, and I just think that if you're that whole thing that you're saying, if you're taking a student's L1 out of the classroom, you're removing you're removing real life from them. Suddenly everything has become I'm learning English for to maybe go and study somewhere, or I'm learning English to maybe go and do this, or I'm learning English to get an exam. And it's not real. Like, mm-hmm. Why would you want to learn something that isn't real? You know, it has mm-hmm. to have that connection to their real life. And and I think this is somewhere where mediation is a, is a vital link in that, that, you know, you have the reason to bring L1 into the classroom. And also, yeah. particularly in to Spain... To give a good justification for it, for sure. Exactly. And, and particularly here in Spain, people get very nervous with their accuracy and this, that, and the other, their, their grammatical accuracy. And having them able and making it essential that they go back to their own language and not just translate it, but but get the point across to the other person. I think it, it's super important. And, and another mm-hmm. short sentence I'm going to put in here, the opportunity to share aspects. Uh, this is more for multilingual classrooms. The opportunity to share aspects of their plurilingual identity that might never come to service in strictly English-only context. So mm-hmm. these two things for me were seem to be key to, to mediation. Um, would you like to expand on that? Oh. Absolutely, I think it's with 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 everything with everything in general. Like in um, in Latin, they in aura mediocritas. So it's like right in the middle. It doesn't have to be too much L one, or it doesn't have to be too little either. So I think that everything uh, has a place in uh, in the LT classroom. Um, I think it's quite it's quite important to include it. Uh, maybe I wouldn't say to use the L one as much as you want or as much as the teacher wants. I remember my English classes in 1998 in Italy in a small city. It was all in Italian and the last 10 minutes, there was like questions like, what's the weather like? With, with this, but I know the teacher would just go with the very, what's the weather like? What did you do yesterday? I was like, uh, yeah, maybe maybe not, right? Like, yeah. But, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, the idea is he's saying that one in a principled way, not correct. in correct. Like, a lazy way. And it sounds like Ricardo's teacher was also, also my teacher in the United States. I studied Spanish and I don't remember her ever speaking Spanish. So uh, <laughs> that, that's certainly not what we're proposing in the book. It's just sort of, recognizing that English is always going to be sort of uh sort of side by side or even mixed with their with the first language and that those things exactly. exist exactly. side by side 
um, or even together forever. You know, it's just yeah, that's yeah. that's a fact, right? Yeah. That's how your brain. Yeah, works. and that's the the principle of plural inclusion or pluriculturalism. Like, just you know, you don't have to mix them up together. It's not code mixing just for you know for fun or just you know simply. But um, uh, that's what happens. In, as you said, in real life, uh, there are moments in which, or oh, how do you say that? Or uh, yeah, in in this language, we say this way because so there's lots of um uh coming back and forth i yeah. think one yeah. of the yeah. things we're sort of talking about like real life like like when you speak another language like <laughs> a lot of times you have to sort of move between your first language and the second language or absolutely it yeah. sort of happens all the time like when you start like we've done like brainstorms with our students um just to get ideas for our book actually um but, uh, also just as a classroom activity just to get them to kind of maybe recognize uh sort of the, how common and how important mediation is in, in real life and, and students can think of a million uh, you know absolutely situations where where they've um helped someone understand something that was in their first language into english or vice versa you know it's, it's something you end up doing with a second language like it's sort of hard to avoid actually um, absolutely we came out with a book i mean it's it's their ideas our students ideas <laughs> yeah we actually got so some uh, quite a few of the books the ideas for the activities okay. actually in the book came from yeah. our students um but uh but yeah it's just like one of those things it's it, it's like kind of like an obvious observation but uh but it's one that's sort of worth making is that um if you're doing something with a second language outside of the classroom all the time well why why not do it in class you know Absolutely. Yeah. just to go back to it because i think you introduced it with like that i don't understand why uh I don't know, I can't remember if you mentioned publishers or like teachers in general, uh, but there are publishers who are uh, including uh, mediation tasks so that ask students to to, to uh, produce target texts in their own language. And not only in their own language, but also like they're using different, producing different types of uh, less orthodox, you know, like less traditional types of text, like, you know, you know read the text and create an infographic based on information text, for example. So yeah. things are going. I think. I think that I'm quite positive. Uh, I think they're doing a good job. Like they're I mean, even yeah. just, if they probably should starting to have a good influence on yeah published materials. Mm -hmm. I think in terms of L1 in the classroom, what really needs to happen, you know, I don't think it needs to be you know no L1 in the classroom. I don't think it needs, and also not the laziness side of things, which you know. I'm sure we've all been victim of doing in the past. You know, there, there are times when you just can't anymore. And it's like, bueno, pues, esto tenemos que hacer así. Ya está. Um, yeah, yeah, we've all yeah. done it. I think one of the keys, though, <laughs> is, is actually having that within training. You know, so when we're doing our CELTA or our, our DELTA or, or whatever training there is, how to use an L1 effectively, because nobody really knows. You know, there's been no... This is how you use it effectively. Obviously, you don't just translate every single word when you can't really be bothered. Um, that's definitely not what you're supposed to do. Um, and we, mm -hmm. we as professional teachers, have definitely never, ever done that. Um, but I think that's a real key, the, the when to use L1. Because as a newly trained teacher, if you have a level in that language, then it's too easy to fall into it and then you become an experienced teacher that's been doing it for years so like with ricardo's teacher or or with ethan's teacher of spanish so i think that's what really needs to happen that we need to have a a place where we're going to train um so i'm just going to pause for a moment and when we come back 
Uh, we're going to talk about a few of the activities in your book, if that's okay. Wonderful. Thank you. Yes. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Welcome back, everybody. Um, thank you for your patience. We are going to delve into some of these mediation activities. I know it's what you've all been waiting for. Um, and I think now for me, I've, I've had a, a, a quick flick through the book. I've not read it in detail. I'm very sorry. Um, when it's got the sticker on the front saying Elton award winning book, that's when I'll read the whole thing. Um, <laughs> I've had a flick through. <laughs> Um, and there's some wonderful ones in there. Now, the first one in there, and it's absolutely brilliant and perfect for Spain. Um, B is for bureaucracy. Uh, it, it just, it's just got Spain written all over it. And, and I, I love the idea of it because, you know, a Spanish person, I remember when I got here and I went to get my, what at the time was my, my NIE, my, my numero identificacion extranjero. Um, mm -hmm. And I remember going there with a mediator. I had somebody there who could help me and explain everything to me. And it seemed quite easy because they knew that I had to take, you know, mm. every paper that had ever existed with me. And if I didn't, then there's no chance I'd get anywhere. Um, but then I remember later on in life, myself being the mediator for somebody else. And they hadn't brought one of the right papers and everything like, excuse my language in advance, went to shit. Um, it was just all terrible. So They're like, well, what do you mean you don't have? <laughs> yeah, yeah, ex, you know. How could you possibly not have brought that? <laughs> exactly. How have you forgotten, you know, index 4.321G? <laughs> exactly. So I think this is just perfect for, you know, for, particularly for the Spanish classroom, because it is like an in-joke in Spain that bureaucracy is absolutely insane here. And, you know, quite often for one document, you have to go to 18 different offices, sign 4,576 different papers, dance, and then make sure you hop out on your left leg, not your right leg, um, and do a Mexican wave whilst leaving. Otherwise, you have no chance of getting your documentation. So this idea is brilliant. Can you tell us about the idea? No, Ethan, go for it. Um, yeah, so basically uh, what it is, it's like a role play where um, one student as a mediator, as you, as you did in real life. Uh, see, this is the kind of thing, like, when you think about it, mediation is happening all the time outside of class. So, so why not, you know, why not bring it in? Uh, so this is, a, this is based on, on, <laughs> on a true story. Uh, so basically, um, when you go to another country, uh, you just don't understand bureaucracy, right? It's like hard to understand bureaucracy even in your own country. Uh, and basically in this activity, um, you ask, ask students to do a little bit of research about how to apply for things. Basically apply for a residency or apply for a national identity card or, or health insurance. And um, and then sort of based on their research they that they've done in their own language or in English, uh, you know, wherever they find that information. Um, and then sort of explaining that process to somebody who's sort of new to new to the country and is sort of doesn't have access to that information or would have a hard time finding it. Um, that's basically the idea of the activity. Um, and, and it mentions in here something I really love about the, the 
the book in general is the differentiation side of things because mm-hmm. not all students are the same. Now, I'm sorry to say this, teachers. We can't teach all students in exactly the same way. They're not all the same. We can't just mold them into our, our perfect English-speaking minions um, much as we try. So this idea of differentiation, with, with this one, for example, how might you help somebody um, in their, their quest to, to help someone else? Yeah, this was um, something that um, our editor actually suggested, or, or better, it was already in the first book in the series yes. uh, by Jason Anderson, um, which is Activities for Cooperative Learning. And um, I really liked the idea. So it's so easy to include in, in your materials. Because if you think about it, so it's a moment to re- for the teacher to reflect on, okay, I've got these three students who might have might find this challenging. So I'm going to provide them with, uh, I don't know, a couple of um, uh, uh, couple of websites they can use for uh, for doing more research or some language for for this other group of students. Um, so yeah, it's it's um, I I really I really liked the fact that they uh, probably it's probably one of the few things that they uh that, that that wasn't in our proposal uh that like the initial proposal but it, it was but it's definitely yeah um, yeah it's very yeah important. no it's, um, it's, it's great um, that that's yeah. why I made space for that people you know and also yeah, they really absolutely. wanted and um, they made yeah. space for it and the adaptation to a virtual class which of course is really important um and something absolutely. else i, I really loved about absolutely. this activity in particular was can it be done online or not because so often with <laughs> with this kind of task we'll put the students in this situation of here you go you have to do this worksheet you have to fill this out you have to do this you have to imagine you're talking to yeah. this person and you've gone through this whole situation and you've spent you know an hour an hour and a half they've done all this research when really they could have just done it online so you've just created this whole I like the idea that John Hughes talks about a real play. So instead of a role play, it's a real play because, you know, it is something that would happen in real life. Um, so, yeah, I like that you say on here, you know, can it be done online? Because if it can be done online, then you're going to approach it very differently to if you have to go in there and convince Marta, the funcionario who's been working for 35 years in the same job, that really you don't need a bit of paper and, and with a nice happy smile and some a compliment on her lovely earrings, she might still just let you do it anyway. Yeah, she's going to give you two nears, not one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've got double. Um, so yeah, that was that the first one that you know, the beef for bureaucracy really did jump out on me. Um, and funnily enough. The second activity in the book as well, which I really loved, which I relate a lot to the work that, that I do with sustainability, this idea of fake news. Um, All right, absolutely. I love this activity. I absolutely love it. It's something I've done with my students before with fake news and with greenwashing as well. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah works, it works really well for greenwashing. It works really well yeah. with greenwashing for the next edition of this um, book. Just add it in there. Yeah, no, that's... See, Ricardo, should mention that. Okay. Yeah, it's it's yeah. okay. It was you know before we'd met. So <laughs> yeah, so we, I we had should have been consulting <laughs> on the on the book. Area. So this this what happens when you don't cons- you don't consult. There you go. Second edition. A- I'll have a credit on there. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do we like? Yeah, we don't have any more. 
been stuck in a book. Yeah, uh, I was Harry, been... that, like, I don't think there's a lot of sort of environmental stuff in there. But I think we mentioned deforestation in passing as a book. <laughs> but this, yeah, this maybe idea of suggestion. This idea of fake news and and debunking fake news, it's a skill that we all need. It's a skill that's so vital to us. So um, what is that kind of task? Just just very briefly. I don't want you to tell us your whole book. Don't worry. You know, I'm not going to make you sit here and just describe the whole book so nobody has to go and get it because they really should, um, whether you're teaching English or, or just teaching in general. So this whole idea of fake news and debunking fake news. Yeah. What, so basically what it's... Um... So Ricardo was sort of describing a task earlier where, where somebody sort of reads something and then they sort of summarize it or they sort of interpret it. And that's basically what students are doing. They're sort of looking at fake news and then um, they're doing some some research. And then um, in our case, sort of writing like a social media post kind of debunking that fake news. But, you know, they could be doing sort of, you know, they could just be explaining it to their classmates or something. They don't necessarily have to write a social media post, but that's sort of how we wrote the task. And um yeah, that's that's basically the point is um yeah getting students to sort of critically think about use their critical thinking skills um what are, when they're looking at a piece of news and and thinking about where they could find um you know good quality information about that topic to sort of check if it's yeah. you know actually true what people might like about this activity is i think uh, the most important thing is that you actually you're the teacher can lead the students to think about the process step by step, thinking about the source first, and then um, uh, criticizing it, analyzing it, and then criticizing it. So you have in in the worksheet you have um, a pre-task uh, activity that I like, in which uh, there's a list of um, sources like YouTube. Well, can we? Yeah, can we say YouTube? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. That's yeah a absolutely. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna, <laughs> was as gonna, long as you don't talk badly about it, Siri is going to be listening to us, I'm sure. Et cetera, so, so you have different sources, like an article from this type of magazine or a video from this type of platform. Uh, and so according to you, um, how um, you know trustworthy would you say that these sources are? So there is a bit of, um, again, the, the students are taken through the process step by step so it's not about just you no know, uh, these are examples of news which one's fake which was which one which one isn't uh why it's more about uh again thinking critically about sources message and then style of the message uh register uh so yeah, a bit of we, uh, yeah. we include some kind of red flags for fake news or things for you know Hopefully the students will kind of discover it by looking at it, but but if, if they don't, sort of things the teacher could sort of identify as being kind of yeah, red red flags for yeah don't yeah, they just don't look right, you know. And yeah, I, I really like saying I'm, yeah. I'm not gonna, as I said, I'm not gonna go through all of the, the different activities in there, but I do like how with mediation in general, it is that real life situation, you know, looking for a flat, um, those kind of things, or you know, instruct giving instructions, receiving instructions. It's real life, and it's something that's too often missing from from our textbooks, from our from our workbooks, and so on and so forth. It's it's we far too often look at something else, read that reading about you know the explorer who went there and did that, and it isn't about our own lives. And and what I really like about mediation in general, um, and of course with with the book, is it's real life things, 
Um, and it does also have in there, you know, useful language, which with being a being an English book, an English language book, it's important to have that as well. So, you know, you're 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 bringing these five situations to life and you're providing students with the framework, with the language they're going to need to use it. And and I think with mediation, it's yeah. I think um, it's great. Yeah, I think you're right. I think mediation uh, can be a way of, sort of bringing uh, the world into the classroom and also to bring students own experiences into the classroom i think it often opens up that kind of possibility for sure excellent so as i say i'm not going to go through every single uh thing in the book because people do need to check it out um but what we haven't done which is quite strange we've talked about mediation we've talked about your journeys into mediation we've said your book now um why don't you tell us the name of your book <laughs> It's kind of long. Ideas in action, activities for mediation, and I think it's yeah, building bridges in the LT classroom. So I remember going with the different one at the beginning, and Ethan saying, "No, no, 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 we're going to change it to building bridges." Or, or was it like I remember that the, the first one was activities for mediation, bridging, bridging something. It was like uh something a bit more, more something shorter. We were talking about yeah, but this guy. I like bridges. Oh, I, I love bridges. bridges. <laughs> oh, I love bridges. I'll tell you I what, love I've bridges. Got, I've and got a great a nice, book here. There's a nice alliteration there, building bridges. Yeah. Oh, do you know I, a funny I thing? Know. I actually came to Seville because of a bridge. Oh, that's not even a joke. Oh, no way. I, I love bridges. No um, so yeah, I <laughs> Are used you to. Or something? <laughs> I, I'm a bit weird. Um, but I used to live in. Um, I used to live in Brazil, and and I had a, a, two classes on a, on a Thursday, um, out in the sticks somewhere, um, and one of them was at like nine in the morning, and the next one was at two in the afternoon. So I had hours and hours and hours between my between my classes, and luckily, there was a bookshop just over the road. So I'd go in there, and they had a really good book about bridges, um, and <laughs> I love bridges. Um, I think. The Clifton Suspension Bridge in Bristol is probably my favourite. But anyway, I saw the 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 Puente del Amillo, which is a a single sided suspension bridge, and it was in fact the world's first single sided suspension bridge. So this was back in two thousand and eight, and I said to myself, I think I'm going to go and live in Seville one day. Um, <laughs> and I, I went around, and then lived in China, and then lived in Vietnam, I then lived in in Australia, uh, and eventually uh, I came to Seville because of a bridge. Um, and I'm still here. I didn't know you lived in so many places there. That's that's impressive. You're you're one of those TEFL teachers that uh, actually went everywhere. I I uh, was a, I was a backpack TEFL teacher. I made it, I made it to the Mediterranean and never left. <laughs> I mean, why would you? Why would you leave? It's it's pretty yeah. special here. Yeah, it's pretty I mean, special. Yeah. Yeah, why go anywhere? I can I can hear my dog Estrella is agreeing as well in the background there. She's saying, you know, <laughs> she's telling us that the Mediterranean is the best place to be. Um, so gentlemen, this has been obviously unsurprisingly lovely. Um, it has also been educational, which is something I, I'm I'm gonna be honest here with Teachers Talk Radio. Uh, so this is probably about the 60, maybe the 70th show that that, that I've done. Um, well done. Congratulations. That's a lot of, a lot, yeah. Um, I've spoken to a lot of different people. And, and it's, it's a lot. It, it's a lot, yeah. And and I love um, the way it flows. It's very organic. And I'm going to be honest, 
on a very selfish level, I've learned so much from this. It's great for my own CPD. Um, and it's really helped my my writing and, and my teaching as well. And I have to say, it's been very enlightening to learn a bit more about mediation. Um, and I hope that our listeners have also um, got a great takeaway from our award-winning guests. <laughs> Thank you very much, Harry. Go. Thanks, Harry. Pleasure. So, um, go on, next, tell me. Uh, ELT thing. Yes, I'll see you at the next ELT thing. Which I'm sure I think we'll cross paths soon. Enough. We definitely will. I'll, I'll see you in February. That's for sure. Um, yeah, 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 for sure. Up in up in Segovia. So thank Segovia. you so much, yeah, exactly. and, and I'll Best see way. you there. I'll see you soon. Cool. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.